Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Self-Publishing Tips and Tricks Show, a series designed to give you insight into the world of self-publishing and marketing your books. I'm Shannon, writing under the pen name SC Houston, and I'm here with my co-hosts. I'm Ben Pick. And I'm Morgan Lee. And today we're going to interview our very own co-host, Ben Pick. Last year, he published his debut novel, and at the time of this recording, he's preparing to launch his second book. Self-publishing his first book is fresh in his thoughts compared to me with having published my first book a little over a year ago and Morgan, who I self-published for years. With this in mind, we want to ask him questions about his experiences. But before we jump into the interview, let's talk about any news or points of interest that we want to share. So this will be coming out next year, and I have no idea where I'll be then. But as of right now, I have a lot going on. I am going to try and sprint to the finish line in terms of publishing my first novel. It's going to require a lot of late nights in terms of fixing the edits and then getting it out to publishing house, but we'll talk about it later. So I don't think I'll have much going on uh, when this video comes out. Just your second novel, right? Yeah, sorry. Okay. Uh, my second <laughs> novel, yes. Yeah. Um, and then for me, I don't know where I'm, I'm going to be doing in March either. It might be around the time that I'm releasing my third book in my trilogy. So I had to push it back um, from my original 2022 release date. So um, hopefully around this time, the trilogy will be done and finished and I'll be marketing that. Yeah. I'll be, I'm sure it's gonna be a nice feeling to have that complete. Yeah. Um, so for me right now, I'm very disappointed in my time management skills. So I'm trying to figure out what I can do to get more writing time in my life, which, uh, you know, we've already changed up the podcast a little bit so that I can do that. And so that my co-host can also do that because we're all trying to get our careers going. So right now I am just working on that, trying to figure out exactly what I want to do for the next year and to give myself more time to write. Now let's talk about our guest author today. Ben Pick is an avid runner and application security analyst who enjoys writing character-focused stories in his spare time. He also posts weekly videos on YouTube about the writing process as Running to Write, where he compares writing to the struggles of running. He loves getting lost in worlds from the books and games he enjoys to the stories he creates. When not writing, running, or gaming, he takes care of potentially the laziest plot hound in the world. So that cover everything, or is there anything else you want to add, Ben? Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Thank you so much. And yeah, he is really, really lazy. If you want, you can have my uh, all, most of my Instagram photos that aren't running or writing related are pictures of my dog asleep. But I did remember one thing. So this will be coming out in March. And that will be very close to when I'll be having my 100th episode go up. So stay tuned for that because that is going to be really exciting. Well, congrats on that. Well, I'm not there yet. So that is that is the, the, that is the plan if I get there by March, assuming I come out every week. Well, I think you are definitely better than me at planning ahead when it comes to your YouTube videos. Like, you know, like a few weeks in advance, which video you're putting out that week. <laughs> so That's because I cheated and pre-record them. I, oh, I have about a month and a half um, in the queue. <laughs> so I I wish I that. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think of that as cheating. I look at that as good planning. Smart. <laughs> Very smart. <laughs> yes. Well, we are thankful that you are letting us pick your brain today and to provide our audience and listeners that, you know, first look into what it is to become a first time author. And so during the first episode of this podcast, when we interviewed each other during that episode, you were considering a traditional route before self-publishing. 
At what point did that change for you? I kind of always knew that I was going to end up going in the self-publishing route. I wanted to at least submit my book through queries and see if there was a match between me and any potential agent slash publisher. But even under the best conditions, I knew that traditionally publishing wouldn't align with my goals in terms of timeline. Because there was no way I, I submitted everything at the beginning of this year, which is 2022. And there was no way that I would have my book published and ready to go if I went the traditionally publishing route anytime in 2022 at all. So yes, I did submit to various publishers. And when you know that first round came back negative, I went through and decided to just move forward on my own. And honestly, even when I was waiting for the responses from the various agents, I was already kind of moving forward with everything in terms of self-publishing on my own. Mm -hmm. So what was the very first step that you took towards self-publishing your novel? Research. I watched countless authortuber videos in terms of publishing, what to publish, how to publish, how to use the various tools. There, there were a lot of UI videos where they walk us through KDP, Draft2Digital, the ins and outs of those various services, what they can offer, and just the basics of here you have, you know, you have your manuscript. How do you upload it into there? And then what do you do with it once it's there? Yeah, that was similar to my journey. I also watch a lot of videos and the ones I concentrate on more were like the business side of being an author. Like how do you set up your business? What should you do for your business? Not those kinds of things. And then I moved into looking at all the different platforms to publish. And I remember like having a discussion with my husband. I wrote down a list of pros and cons of going wide or being KDP exclusive and you know what that what which one I should choose. And I had initially set up everything to go wide. My first book was initially set up to go wide. And then I decided to go just the KDP route first and then go wide later. But cool. yeah, so similar journey. Yeah. Can you tell us how you prepared to launch your first self-published book before publishing it? It's actually basic. I just started telling people that I was writing a book. You know, a few of my friends knew that I was working on something. Very few of them actually knew how far along I was in that process. And especially not the wider range of friends, family members, neighbors, coworkers, etc. So just telling people that I was publishing a book was really that first step. And at that point, I had already kind of had everything in line with Ingram Spark, I think, before I was really starting to tell people that, yes, I'm coming out with a novel. It's coming out in two, three months from, from now. Or back, back then is what I was telling people. And so there was actually a family dinner when, when I was getting together with everyone over July 4th weekend where, you know, extended family members were, were talking to me and whatever. And they kind of already knew because my wife was wonderful and was sort of in the background sort of telling everyone that I was, that I was publishing this book. So they kind of were like egging me on to just admit that I was publishing this book. And so that really was the first step they had to just get used to saying, I am publishing a novel. I think it was a really smart decision because I thought about what you did. You've been on YouTube for a year before publishing your book. Yeah. So you built up your platform and your audience there on YouTube, where mm -hmm. I was on for a few months, and I didn't know even know how to get into the AuthorTube community to start with. So I didn't have that big audience. And I think it uh, that portion at least helped to contribute to your sales. Oh, absolutely it did. I, I mean, just meeting you and Morgan, I only met you through AuthorTube, and I'm incredibly thankful that I did, but you are completely right. I had chronicled a lot of the events leading up to publishing and those sort of funneled through into my videos. So I had various videos on much later on, but I had I have various videos on what I was going through as I was entering the publishing process, finding editors, finding beta readers, 
And all along, I was kind of, it was really nervous to do this, but I was still saying like, hey, I'm coming out with a book two months, or sorry, I'm coming out with a book three months from now. I'm coming out with a book two months from now. I'm coming out with a book one month from now. I'm coming out with a book next week. So I kind of had this little internal clock within each of my videos. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for reminding me about that because that was, that was a wonderful asset to have. So before you self-published your first book, we interviewed a few different self-published authors. So what did you learn from those interviews that helped to inform your self-publishing journey? Everything. <laughs> I am so glad that Shannon, you put this all, you, you know, you, you put this whole thing together. You got, you gathered Morgan myself because this was an incredibly valuable tool for self-publishing. The most important thing in which I learned from everyone is to just do it. I mean, it's so easy to write a book. Well, not, it's not easy, but it's so easy to have written a book and then to just go back and keep revising and revising and revising it until I get into the cycle of perpetually tweaking what I've written and to have the courage to go forward and to publish it. I really only found that through the various people that we interviewed. Yeah, it's, it's funny how I think, you know, we start the podcast kind of from a selfish perspective that we want to know what others are doing. But for you, you were kind of considering the traditionally publishing route. So it still gave you all those tools to possibly mm -hmm. look at. And I agree, it is all about just just take that step, just do it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. If you don't take the step, you're never going to get there. And like you said, you can continue to do all the editing and go through. But then that's why if you're making a step forward that you start using editors. And I know from one of your videos on YouTube, your channel Running to Write, uh, sent your book to multiple editors and different kinds of editors. So could you tell us like a little bit about what you did for your novel in terms of editing? Absolutely. I went through three main types of editors. I went well and kind of a fourth. But the first one, I'm just going to listen out. So the first one is developer, then line editor, copy editor, and lastly, kind of a proofread, although that never technically finished before I published. Anyways, the point is that's also on top of a writing coach who I had before all that to sort of boost my confidence uh, that my book was ready to go to beta readers themselves. Now, the various differences, a developmental editor, this is just very, very generalized. There's a lot of overlap. They might uh, mesh the terms and, and sort of fuzz them a little bit. But in general, developmental editors are the ones who go through and make sure that the plot itself makes sense. So there's no holes. The characters act in believable ways. It's really just looking at your book from a holistic point of view. If it's too short, too long, if the pacing is off, how does it feel to read it? And then the line editor, they're more, as the name implies, they're more looking at the individual lines themselves. I, I'm sorry, I can't come up with a better way of putting it. But that's the diction. That's the, is this character speaking? Um, I mean, honestly, Morgan, you could probably define this better than I can. Um, if you if you wanted to go, you know, go right ahead. Okay, sure. Um, for a line editing, the editor is looking more at the sentence structure, the word choice, the cadence, the flow of how the characters speak, as well as the exposition to make sure that it is um, in its most like readable form and like enjoyable form. So making sure like the sentences aren't stilted or they all have the same length and just like varying up your lines to make it a more enjoyable read. Mm -hmm. And so a plug here for Morgan, she does do that as mm -hmm. um, her job. So yes. you can reach out to her if you find that interesting or would like to have that done for your work. She yes. was actually the line editor for my first and second book. So that's why I first immediately thought of you. <laughs> But yeah, and it's also, you flagged it a lot where my characters were high school kids 
and they sounded way too adult, not in you know what they were doing or anything, and just like the actual words that they were saying. So you kind of helped adjust it to make it more believable that they were actually 17, 18 year old kids. Mm -hmm. And then copy editing is more of we think of with grammar. So, you know, punctuation usage, the, the general flow of the actual words, and, and, and are we using the English language correctly? And then proofreading is kind of the same sort of thing. I think copywriting also includes um, consistency because my copy editor would pick out, you know, things like, well, hey, you said that she had this in this scene, but you didn't have it still in this scene. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that's all I got. So uh... your first time writer, author, not first time writer, your first time published author. So yeah, you're learning this as you go. And yeah, which is great. Yeah. So while we all would love to have the same attention to our own works, this might not be feasible for some who lack the monetary resources. So for those who might not be able to afford so many different types of editing, which one would you say is the most valuable to have done? Right. And so first and foremost, I want to say it took me years to get from editing to published. So I had my manuscript I was perpetually working on. And I every year I set aside a certain amount of budget for it to work on editing. And if I didn't hire a specific editor, or I didn't do anything with it, that money would just be saved next year, next year, next year. So I did have a nice little nest egg that I used to ultimately buy those various services. And I would say it depends. My gut reaction is to say that a line editor or copy editor are by far the most important because the best story in the world will easily be discarded if it has too many flow or punctuation or character related issues where something just doesn't feel right. But that being said, so a counterpoint to what I just said, um, I needed a developmental editor to boost my confidence in my writing and to fix a lot of the plot holes that were in there in those earlier in that earlier version of the manuscript. So I had a lot of bad beta readers with inconsistent results at best who told me basically to do two different things for the same exact problem and they were uh, conflicting. So that type of negative feedback loop made me think that my story was a lot worse than it was. And having a developmental editor really hone in on what those problems are. So somebody who regularly looks through, reads through stories and can pinpoint exactly what the problem is and clearly convey that to me was imperative for me. So I think it really depends. Uh, you might be able to get away with that with a very strong beta reader, in which case you can skip right ahead to a line editor or copy editor. So that's where I kind of save money the second time around. I will say that I think I only spent about a third uh, publishing my second book as I did for my first, and I'm planning to reduce that even further going forward. Yeah, and that's a good thing that you talked about the beta readers and what kind of feedback they provide. It, it can be tough to find good beta readers or just ones that will know what they're trying to say. Because a lot of beta readers are just readers. They're not writers. So they can say, well, this didn't, this didn't seem right, but they may not exactly know why. So they just pick something to tell you. And um, I, I've seen that. Is there one publishing mistake or misstep that you could tell our listeners about to help them avoid in the future? Building off of my last answer, I would say that I didn't, I mean, I did need all those editors, but I didn't need them for the second book. So... If you have confidence in your writing, if you have a strong team of editors, if you yourself are a great self-editor of your own works and you understand how stories flow, you can skip a lot of those initial steps. You don't need a writing coach. You don't need a developmental editor. And you can just go right to line or copy editor or somebody who's going to see your book in a way that you can't. So... I was able to crunch down the time it took me to publish my second novel versus my first one considerably by taking out some of those steps because I had confidence in my writing. I recognized that I was a better writer. I'm not saying that I'm perfect, but I'm saying that I don't need some of those, not ego boosts, but those confidence boosters that I used 
the first time around. And you see that as like a mistake or a misstep? Yeah. Um, oh, also I'll say, um, sorry, for, for an actual misstep, I would say taking too long to publish my first novel. Oh. So I was perpetually going through and revising it and revising and revising it. And I should have been, I should have been trying to publish it sooner than I did. So in addition to hiring many editors and sort of using that as a means to procrastinate, I would also say waiting that long to get to that point was kind of a misstep. So it's kind of two things hand in hand. So what was your launch strategy for marketing your first book? More than anything else, it was a book launch party. I am a huge fan. I know, I think all of us actually have had Barrett Laurie host one of our book launch parties. And for me, that day was incredible. There was such an abundance of people in the author community, uh, people who don't, who don't or didn't at that time know me, but who were fans of Barrett. They came on and they watched my book launch party and there, there was just such a positive environment and so many people that showed up to support me and following through that that because we're still in 2022, that the day that that book was published was one of the highlights of the year for me. It was just so many people had come out to support me and help make falling through a success. I can totally agree with that because yeah, like you, I, I had my book launch parties on Barrett's channel. And yeah, it contributes to the success for sure. It did for me. Um, and it's also that, you know, that community because writing can be so lonely sometimes. So having that community and, and that support just, it felt really, really great. Absolutely. So what was one marketing effort that you tried that you would probably never do again? I don't have a good answer here. I'm going to keep talking, but <laughs> in summary, um, my marketing campaigns, it is very, very difficult with Ingram Sparks tool to associate a specific campaign with a specific um bump in sales or anything like that. Because uh, the, the way Ingram Spark works, first of all, there's a 60 day delay. Second of all, the way that they share their, their information, I can't associate a specific number of sales to a specific day. And even if I could, I wouldn't necessarily be able to know that, oh, I started this promotion and then a week later I see a bump in sales. Well, that might just be kind of new people watching my channel and decide to promote me or decide to support me. So I don't, I can't associate one specific marketing campaign with any specific number of sales. That being said, I don't think I've gotten good responses from mass distributions. And that's where, you know, my book is one of a dozen, one of 20 in a long list of that gets sent out on a daily basis or a weekly basis to various people. So like the newsletter I, book promotions. Exactly, exactly. And Shannon, I know that you shared a lot of these on your channel and I've used all of them, but again, I don't know whether or not they resulted in sales. I will say that I've gotten a few additional people to join my newsletter. And from that, I also have some new ARC readers that I know explicitly came from those newsletter promotions. Nice. So I, I'm sorry, but I don't have a good answer on which marketing steps well, do and I mean, don't work. You know, this might be, it might have been kind of an unfair question to ask you because you are so brand new in this that and I think people really know the answer to this once they've tried things over the years and know what doesn't work or what does work for them. So probably exactly. unfair to ask you. <laughs> well, and I will say that, look, if nothing else, um, you know, I can throw 30 bucks a month and do one of these campaigns and just sort of see whether or not I get any hits or anything like that. So that's, it's very low risk, low reward. So I will say that that's usually my limit. So since publishing and I'm, I, I market my book on Instagram or whatever, various other Instagram influencers or people who promote books have reached out to me and they say, you know, hey, we'll give your book a boost or whatever, or we'll show it on our main page or do something like that. And they usually want far too much money for me to kind of be lost in a sea of other books. So I feel like that, that might be where I draw the line 
in terms of marketing efforts that I won't necessarily try. I think a good thing to take away from your answer is that depending on the platform you use to publish your book through, it may be hard to tie any one specific marketing strategy to your actual sales. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, try whatever, try whatever you can, try whatever you're comfortable with. Obviously don't spend more money than you're willing to do. I have a strict budget that I, that I stick to. So that's my biggest thing. So you've mentioned that you feel like going to live events might sell your books more than the online promotions. Can you explain a little bit more about why you feel this way? Absolutely. Yeah. Live events are fantastic. I can directly see not only whether or not I made a sale, but I can see what worked. So I can talk to one person about a specific aspect of my book and say, oh, you know, well, that resulted in a sale. And then I can try with a different person and sort of sell my book in a different way. So I can focus on a different aspect and see in real time what kind of strategies work and how best to sell or market both myself and my books. So I know it was a, a few months ago when you mentioned that you felt the live events might work better. And that was something we learned from a few of our authors. We had quite a few who said mm -hmm. live events work really great. So have you had a chance to go to a live event since then? Or if not, what would you like to go to in the future? Not as an author. Yeah, I go there to meet other indie authors. So I still have a stack of books that I want to go through this year from all the various authors I met. And that's, as you mentioned, uh, one of our guests, uh, Rod Van Blake, I actually met through Balticon, which is one that I want to sign up for. So I'm going to reach out to the, the conference supervisors, managers, whomever, and try and get a table there. Um, there's a bunch of other local regional ones. There's one that's in Fairfax. And I'm just going to kind of keep my eyes and ears open for what is available and try and put myself out there. You kind of got the best of both worlds there by going to these events without paying for a table, yet you're still selling your books. No, well, no, I'm not selling my books. Oh, I, I met, I went there and I met the authors. I uh -huh. wasn't selling my books. I was buying from them. Okay. I suppose in the future, if you go to any as a, an attendee, you could speak about your books. I mean, I'm going to the 20 Books of 50K conference next week. I didn't buy a table because I didn't really know how that was supposed to work. Mm -hmm. And my girlfriend got a table. So I was just going to watch her and see what she does. Perfect. But I plan on taking, I have like little postcards with my book on there and a QR code. So I plan on handing those out, even though I don't, I won't have a table. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah, I guess I should do that where I could get like, because I already have a whole bunch of bookmarks. I could just put the yep. QR code on the back and hand them out. So you're coming out with your next book soon at the time of this recording. So what has or how has your process changed between publishing your first book and your second book? It's only been four months, so it hasn't really changed much. That being said, I might try and throw a really quick curveball in there where Bethany Votaw has done something which I really want to do. So right now I'm publishing the first book. I went wide with everything through Ingram Spark, the physical paperback copies, and then managing all the eBooks into the various services. So Kobo, Amazon, whatever, it was all managed through Ingram Spark. What she's done is she's gone with Amazon KDP for the eBook and then used Ingram Spark or Draft to Digital for everything else. So if I understand how to do that and whether, whether or not that can work for me, that is a major change, which I would really like to do because as I mentioned, Ingram Spark kind of doesn't get the best sales data. So if I can get accurate results through KDP, that could really give me a lot more insight into how my book is selling and how best to market it. And in that way, I might be able to tie those various marketing campaigns a little bit better to a specific event. And see, this is where my time management skills failed me because I had put my ebook into KDP and the idea was to put my print book wide through aggregators and um, yeah, never done that. 
<laughs> so, well, and when I first started with draft to digital, I put the ebook up there. They didn't have print books mm -hmm. available. Now it's just in beta. So I, I tell myself all the time, yep, when I get the time, go and ask for the beta to get my print book out there. But I, everything else just takes more precedence right now with trying to get other things out. So. That makes sense. What have you carried over from your first book in terms of publishing methods? Yeah, it, almost everything will be the exact same. So no matter what, I will still be using Ingram Spark. I really like what they do for paperback books. I've been knocking them down in terms of ebooks, in terms of marketing, in terms of tracking sales or whatever, but their paper book process is fantastic. So they create these beautiful covers that look exactly like the covers that I envision that I, that I send to them. And they also have some really good tools to allow me to see exactly what my book will look like from the inside. So I have a very good concept of the book that I'm going to be publishing through Spark, And that is one thing that I'm absolutely going to be carrying through. So even if I do go with Amazon KDP, I'm still going to be trying to manage everything as best I can within, within IngramSpark. Are there any new marketing strategies you're trying for book two? No, a lot of it's going to be more of the same. Um, it's only been four months. I, by the time this comes out, I'll have a result. So one of the marketing campaigns I did was through Facebook and that just finished last week. It finished on the October 31st and we're recording this uh, a week and a half in November. So what I did with that was the same thing that Martin Lejeune did, which was create a campaign based around the trailer. So it's not just a static image showing, you know, my book is on sale or whatever. It's the same 90 second trailer to to really draw people in. And so it's a lot more visual. And I'm going to, by the time this comes out, uh, I'll find out how well, how many sales that led to, or if it did. That I think I can tie a little bit better towards campaigns because I didn't run anything else during October. But I can see based on what Facebook showed me, how many people clicked on the specific link that I provided. So I could see how many people were engaged in it. I just can't see whether or not that resulted in a sale quite yet. So that's something that I will probably go back to because I feel like that led to a lot more sales um, in terms of uh, cost benefits. So I'm working on a trailer for the second book and I will likely do the exact same type of campaign for the book then. So do you have your book uh, directly upload it to Amazon or is it through the aggregator? Through the aggregator. Everything oh. is managed through Spark. Because Amazon now has it where you can get um, attribution tags, I think is what they're calling it. But all it is, is you can get a URL assigned specifically for your book that you can use like in Facebook ads to see how many people are actually clicking on it and who go from the ad to Amazon to buy your book. So, right. But I yeah. think you, have, you have to do it directly, I think. Yeah. So I can see how many people clicked on the link to go to Amazon because within the... Um, Within the promotion, there was a link that they could click on. So I could see how many, I could see the actual number of that, but I can't see from the final end result of how many people clicked on that link and then purchased the book. So I don't know anything about Facebook ads. It's not something I've tried yet. I really want to. <laughs> That's another thing on my plate that I want to do. <laughs> I am more than happy to talk to you about it. Yay. So uh, I didn't know. So on the back end, you can see when people click, you can see mm -hmm. where they go, whether it's Amazon or Barnes and Noble. No. Or... So I only included in that link a specific, the only thing I included was the link to go to Amazon to buy the book. Oh, that's the only one you included. Okay. So yes. that's how you can see where, where they're going. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you did, if you did um, have like a books, you know, books to read gives you like mm -hmm. that one link where it goes to several platforms. Yes. If you did that, you probably wouldn't be able to break it down by. Exactly. Okay. okay gotcha. Yeah. I would have no idea where they went from there. I could just see how many people went to that single link to, to then go to Amazon, Kobo, whomever. I'd also want to know, because I think 90 seconds for a video is a bit long for an advertisement. Not mm -hmm. sure. But have you thought about like, after you just, you try it, 
doing a, a shorter video and see how it performs. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that is definitely something I'll, I'll work on. Um, I know I'm working with uh, books by Adrian. And so I just kind of like the 90 second time limit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can definitely work with him to try and cut it down maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's not that you have to do it. It's just something I was thinking of. Um, right. And, and you're absolutely right. Hearing it out loud, 90 seconds does kind of take a while. But even if they're only there for a few seconds, I mean, the the vibe of the video kind of captures you in immediately. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen your trailer. It's really great. So everyone go see Ben's trailer for his first book. Um, are you doing a trailer for the second book? Yes. Yes, I am. Um, Adrian is currently working on it. So I should probably circle back with him and figure out where he is. Okay. So talking about your second book, which is... I saw it on your video this past week. You have uh, revealed the name, which is Expanding Cracks. Launches soon. Uh, it'll be out by the time this episode airs. So is there anything you can tell us about your third book? Where are you at in the process? And do you have a roundabout time frame when you think it will come out? I'm still writing it. I'm about 40% done. And once I'm done with books, well, I'm done with book one now completely, aside from some marketing. And once I'm done with book two in terms of editing, I will be able to focus entirely on writing new content for book three, which is what I really want to focus on. I'm aiming for early 2024. Um, I like to publish the books around when the stories take place. That's why I'm kind of really pushing to get book two published in the first week of December rather than push it off to early January. I think that once I'm done with book two, I'll be able to really focus on writing book three and I'll be able to buckle down and force myself to finish writing it as, as quickly as I can and then get through to beta readers, get through to the editors, get through that entire process. I think I can do that in less than a year. That's my goal, at least. Whether or not I make it there, uh, that remains to be seen. Whether or not it works or cuts down my writing time remains to be seen. Uh, yeah, Shannon, you mentioned at the beginning how we all need to work on time management and allocating our time better or allocating our time to write more. So that is a huge concern, but it does help that I am 40% done right now. Um, I'm definitely going to go through at least one, hopefully two more cycles of self-editing with that. So that'll take a couple months. But yeah, I, I am really aiming for early 2024. How many books are you planning for the Falling Through series? Or can you tell us? <laughs> Certainly. That I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, in the original incarnation, I had nine books planned out. Um, I had various antagonists and themes that I wanted to work with that were fairly concrete. But since in the process of writing the books, I've changed a lot of the details so that those events no longer make sense. And so it might just be down to six books. But either way, I'm definitely not going more than nine. Well, Ben, you've answered all of our questions. But before we wrap up, please tell our listeners where they can find you and purchase your books. How does that sound? Books with a plural on there. <sighs> That is terrifying. Oh, no. But thank you. Well, still something I have to wrap my head around. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I am Ben Pick. I post weekly videos at 7 p.m. Eastern time as Ryan to Write on YouTube. I also have two books that as of this recording will be out there right now. Uh, that is Falling Through and the sequel, Expanding Cracks. You can find them anywhere books are sold, whether that is a Amazon, whether that's Barnes & Noble, whether that's Kobo. I have a Booktree link, which I can always send to you, Shannon, uh, for, for, for where my books can be found. All right. Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely include that in the show notes and in the description box on, the, on YouTube. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us today and giving us that wonderful insight into what it looks like to be a brand new author in today's market. Thank you. Thank you so much to our listeners and viewers. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Come back next time on March 15th, where we'll interview the sister writer duo and authors, E.L. Summers and L.N. Frost. Goodbye, everyone.